read the word of God together in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. I've been using this chapter in Wingham for our applicatory services. There's abundant material in the second half of the epistle to the Ephesians for application to the Christian life. The sermon that I bring to you tonight is the, the last one I preached for applicatory, I believe, or one of the recent ones. So let's read the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined and compacted together by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We read the word of God that far. The text is those last three verses of the section we read, 14, 15, and 16. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when our Lord Jesus ascended up into heaven, according to the Apostle, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he speaks of some of the most precious of those gifts in verse 11. He gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers so when Jesus ascended up into heaven, these are some of the gifts that he bestowed upon his church. 
And it's clear when you look at those various offices that Jesus gave the gift of ministers of the gospel. And he gave that gift for the purpose of gathering the church through missions from the nations, apostles, evangelists. And he also gave the gift of ministers of the gospel of various kinds for the work of the pastoral ministry, the work of laboring in the churches that are gathered through missions in the instituted churches. And he lays down the purpose and goal of pastoral ministry in verse 12 and following. The purpose is that pastors would perfect the saints or equip them so that the saints would be able to do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ would be edified. That's the purpose of Jesus when, upon ascending up into heaven, he bestows upon his church the gift of ministers of the gospel. For the gathering of the church from the nations and the building up of the church, the pastoral ministry, the perfecting, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry so that all of the saints together will be ministering to each other, serving each other, helping each other, loving each other, growing together, and being edified as the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith so that we're constantly growing toward the greater expression of the unity that we enjoy in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, he says. And we could translate that perfect man, a mature adult, so that the church is growing up into more and more a mature adult, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're growing towards this appointed measure that Christ has, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ has determined for you, First Protestant Reformed Church, a certain stature, a certain measure of growth. And he gives pastors and teachers to the church for the purpose that the church will grow more and more toward that measure, the stature of the fullness that Christ has determined for us. And now we want to focus tonight on verses 14 through 16 where the Apostle teaches us the goal of Christ with the ministry, pastoral ministry in the local church. And you being a vacant church, you appreciate this very much. The need for a pastor. And we prayed for that. And we pray for you. The Lord Jesus will supply you with a new pastor but this is the goal that Christ had with your past ministers. And this is the goal that Christ will have with your future, your next pastor. This is the goal laid down here in our text. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, 
which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So I call your attention to that text under the theme describing a mature church. First of all, mature church is growing up in Christ. Secondly, speaking the truth in love. And finally, edifying itself in love. The goal of our Lord Jesus Christ with the ministry of pastors and teachers in the church today, here, also in your congregation, and the goal of Christ with your ministering to each other is that through all of this ministering, we would no longer be spiritual children tossed to and fro and carried about, but we would grow up into Christ, our head. So first of all, the apostle teaches that the goal is that we would no longer be children, spiritual babies. Now, our Lord Jesus teaches us elsewhere that we ought to be like children, that we ought to humble ourselves and become as little children spiritually. And there is a sense in which that is true. But the apostle is speaking in a different sense in the text when he says we ought not to be children. And the goal and desire of Christ is that we would not be spiritual babies. Think of what the apostle wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, Howbeit, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Be adults. Grow up spiritually. Don't be spiritual babes. Little children are very vulnerable and very impressionable and very easy to deceive. And they're easy to be tossed about. The apostle uses the illustration, very vivid illustration of being tossed to and fro. Think of a little child, a baby, or a toddler who is in the sea. And even in the calmest of waters with just gentle waves, yet a little one would be tossed to and fro in the waves and not able to swim and not able to stay above the water. A little one would be very weak and unstable. Think of a toddler trying to walk on his feet and there's a storm blowing outside, he would be carried about like a leaf in the wind. And so the goal of Jesus Christ is that we would not be spiritual children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine in the sea of ideas. We are going as the church through the sea of ideas all the time, whether we realize it or not. And there are winds of doctrine always blowing. They blow through the internet. They blow from pulpits throughout the land. They blow in writings and books and magazines. They blow through the television. 
always there is this storm with these winds and these waves. And the goal of Christ is that we would not be easily tossed here and there, to and fro, with every new idea that blows, with every new attractive trend, with every supposedly new insight, so that we are constantly wavering, constantly unsure, moving from one opinion to another, from one belief to another. But the Lord would have us to be stable, to be strong, to be growing and maturing. Little children are very vulnerable to being persuaded. That's why it's so important that our children are nurtured in the home and the school and the church. Little children are vulnerable. They will believe just about anything that someone very persuasive says to them. The apostle warns us in the text about men who are cunning and crafty, men who are lying in wait to deceive. He's talking about wolves in sheep's clothing, wolves who try to infiltrate the sheepfold of the Lord Jesus and who try to spread their pernicious lies, who try to draw after them disciples, who try to divide the church into camps and to create schism and to create all kinds of havoc. The Apostle Paul said to this very same church in Acts 20 to the elders of Ephesus, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. I'm sure you've seen wolves in action. Wolves, when they're looking for a meal, they will chase after a flock or a herd of animals, but they don't go for the strongest. They don't attack the strongest, fastest, largest of the animal, but they look for the little ones. They look for the weak. They look for the vulnerable. They look for those who are susceptible and easily captured and caught. They know that they're able to grab and devour them. It's no different with spiritual predators that sneak into the church. They look for the weak. They look for the vulnerable. They look for the little children, spiritual children. The apostle says that he gives, Jesus gives pastors and teachers, faithful shepherds of Christ, so that through the pastoral ministry faithfully carried out, we will not be little children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. We will not be that. But we will learn to know what we believe and why we believe it and to be strong in our faith and strong in the knowledge of the Son of God and in all the truths of his word. The apostle is warning us here against heretics, deceivers, manipulators in the church, all different kinds of wolves, but he doesn't mean to make us suspicious of the pastors and teachers of the church. There are no perfect pastors. And sometimes pastors in their ministry make mistakes. 
Sometimes they even say things that are not completely correct. And they need to be corrected. There is no perfect sermon. But notice how the Apostle is speaking here of people who, although they come under the cloak of being a true sheep or a true shepherd, they're cunning, they're crafty, they're lying in wait to, to deceive. They are intentional, they are deliberate, they are consciously going about the work of darkness in the church. And he's warning us against such. The desire of Christ for you as a congregation is that you grow up into Christ in all things who is the head, that you become a mature church. He speaks of that maturity in verse 13. He desires that for the church at Ephesus. He desires that for every true church, wherever it is found in any age of history, that we would come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a mature church, spiritually adults, reaching constantly, growing constantly toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that he has determined for us from all eternity. How is it then that we grow so that we become strong, so that we as a church can steer a straight course to the sea of doctrines and be strong in the wind of ideas? We need pastors who preach Christ to us in all of his riches, in all of his beauty, in all of his saving works and blessings. We need the ministry of the gospel of Christ as the one who loved us and who gave himself for us on the cross. We need to hear preached to us constantly, Sunday after Sunday, Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead, the one who laid down his life for us on the cross as the revelation of God's love for us who gave himself on the cross so that we sinners would be justified and forgiven, washed, and made clean through his precious blood. We need the ministry of the preaching and the sacraments, as we had this morning, in which we see the visible signs and seals of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. And we are able to lay hold upon that by faith and to be nourished in our faith. We need the preaching of the whole counsel of God in which the whole scriptures are opened and expounded to us, the Old Testament and the New Testament, so that the riches of Christ from every point of view of the scriptures are set before us from Sunday to Sunday so that we see Christ in all of his riches and depths as the Messiah who was promised and prophesied as the King who has come who has died and risen and ascended into glory and who sits at the right hand of God, high above all principalities and powers and things present and things to come. And we need a ministry of the gospel that calls us to faith in Christ, that doesn't merely set forth Christ to us, but then calls us, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Believe in him. 
Rest in him and find in him all that you need. We need a ministry that calls us to repent of our sins, to hate and flee from our sins, to turn from them and forsake them, and to live a new and holy life in gratitude for all that Christ has done. This regular ministry of the gospel is how we grow up into Christ our head. That's Christ's desire for us, that we grow up into him, more and more and more into him. So what does it look like when we are a maturing church, when we are a growing church? It's a church in which we have the faithful preaching of Christ from Sunday to Sunday with the sacraments so that more and more we lay hold upon Christ. Our faith is fixed on Christ and not on ourselves, not on our own works, not on our own worth, not on our own strength or ability, but we're pointed constantly to Christ. Lay hold upon Christ. Rest in Christ so that more and more we do. More and more we find that our only hope in life and death is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no hope in this life so that we find that our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. More and more, we as individual believers find that our greatest joy and our greatest treasure is Christ. We are a church who more and more is following Christ, seeking to obey Christ, to follow the precepts that Christ teaches us in his word so that our whole life more and more is centering around Christ. All of our ambitions, all of our dreams, in our businesses, in our jobs and careers, in our marriages and families, in our friendships and social life, everything of our life more and more revolves around Christ. We have a growing desire to worship God because of Christ, for the sake of Christ, in the name of Christ. We find less and less appeal toward the pleasures and treasures of this life. And more and more we are drawn to the glories of Christ in heaven so that we set our hearts upon things that are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God and not things on the earth. So we don't lay up treasures on earth, but we lay up treasures in heaven. We don't look forward to the things of this life, but we look forward to heavenly glory where we will see Christ face to face and dwell with God through Christ for all eternity. More and more we humble ourselves. We don't boast. We don't glory in our achievements. We don't glory in self or anything that we have done. But we glory only in Christ. Like the apostle, we come more and more to believe and to confess from the heart, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's growing up into Christ, the head. And that's what Christ desires for us as a congregation. That growth comes through the ministry of the gospel and the sacraments, but ultimately it comes from Christ himself. 
Notice what the Apostle says in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, according to the effectual working, maketh increase unto the edifying of itself in love. From whom? From Christ. He's speaking of Christ in verse 15. He wants us to grow up into Christ, who is our head. And he says that from Christ, all of that strength comes, all of that life, all of that power, all of those truths, all of that gospel, all of those pastors and teachers and missionaries, they come from Christ. That's true also in our physical bodies, isn't it? That the growth of the body, whether it's physical growth in nutrition and growth in all aspects of our life, it starts in the head. The head directs the whole of the body. From the head flows the decisions by which we seek to grow and to live a healthier life. So also spiritually, it all comes from Christ. It's all from Christ by which and from which we grow. So a mature, healthy, growing church is not a perfect church. But it's a church that is looking more and more to Christ for all things and therefore made up of believers and their seed who are not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. But from Sunday to Sunday, they are eager to come to the Lord's house, to eat and to drink the gospel so that we may grow into Christ. Now the apostle teaches also in the text that this spiritual growing up into Christ and becoming more and more mature takes place in the way of speaking the truth in love. It's just the opposite with false teachers. False teachers, the wolves that he speaks of, with their cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, they speak lies. And they speak those lies only in love for themselves. They don't love anybody else except themselves, ultimately. They may speak about their great love for God. They may speak about their great love for the truth. But all they really care about is themselves. All they really care about is fleecing the sheep, dividing the flock, spreading lies and heresies, and wreaking all kinds of damage and havoc in the church. The Apostle Paul teaches us in the text That doesn't result in growth up into Christ, but speaking the truth in love. That results in growth and maturing. We have to hold these two things together constantly, the speaking of the truth and doing it in love. If we're only speaking the truth, but not doing that in love, there won't be growth in the church. And on the other side, too, if we're speaking things that are not true, but we might do that with a great smile on our face and seem to be doing it in a very friendly and loving manner, 
Yet if what we're speaking is not the truth, that will not cause growth in the church either. But we have to keep these things together, speaking the truth in love. That's when there's going to be growth in the church. The opinion has often prevailed, even in our own churches, that because the Belgian Confession, Article 7, tells us that the truth is above all. Of course, that's true. The truth is above all. The truth is above all things important to us. But the opinion has prevailed often that because of that, it doesn't matter how we speak that truth. All that matters is that we speak that truth. The opinion is that all we have to do is speak the truth and then the church will grow, then the church will be healthy, then there will be unity. And the opinion even devolves and degenerates into the opinion that, in fact, it's better to speak the truth in an angry way. It's best to speak the truth with a scowl on your face. It's best to yell and to be angry and to speak in the sharpest and most cutting words you can think of. Then you're really speaking the truth in the proper way. In fact, the opinion even gets so far as to say that if you don't always speak the truth in a cutting and sharp and angry tone, then you're not really speaking the truth at all. This opinion is a false opinion. This opinion is just another one of those winds of doctrine one of those ideas of man, one of those cunning craftiness whereby men lie in wait to deceive. It's a very, very deceptive thing to say that the truth is above all. And therefore, the only thing that matters is speaking the truth and not how you speak it. That can be a very subtle and very deceptive thing, but it's a lie nonetheless. What matters is that we speak the truth in love. And these two things must always be kept together in the church if there is going to be growth. Speaking the truth for us pastors means that whenever we get up on this pulpit, we don't bring our own ideas to the best of our ability. We strive to speak the truth. We strive to speak what is God's word, which can be validated and proven from the scriptures and demonstrated from the word of truth, the word of Christ in the scriptures. And in those scriptures, as they have been set forth by our Reformed fathers in the three forms of unity, whether that's in our preaching from the pulpit or in the catechism room or in the counseling, in the pastoral study, in all of our work as pastors, as professors in the seminary, as elders, as deacons, as leaders in the church, that we always strive to speak the truth. And that means for you as the saints and you're ministering to one another, that you always strive to speak the truth. 
the truth of God's word to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability. But what does it mean to speak that truth in love? It doesn't mean merely that we are to speak it out of the motive of love. That's true. That's very important too. Whenever we speak the truth, we ought to be motivated by love. There ought to be love in our hearts so that that speaking of the truth is flowing out of a heart of love. First of all, love for God. Do you love God? When you speak and you strive to speak the truth, do you strive to do that because you love the God whose truth it is and the God who is that truth? And when you speak the truth, do you do that because you love your neighbor? Because you love your brother or sister who you're speaking that truth to. Do you love that person? And are you speaking the truth to them because you love them? We ought to speak the truth out of the motive of love, but the apostle doesn't say out of love. He says speaking the truth in love. And it's so very plain then that he means we are to speak the truth in a loving manner. We are not to speak the truth with fury and force and anger and cutting words and destructive phrases. But we are to be careful in the tone of voice that we use. There is a loving tone. We have to be careful in the words that we choose to use. There's a loving choice of words. There are words that are loving and words that are not. And speaking the truth in love means that not only the tone of our voice and the words that we choose, but our body language, our gestures, our facial expressions, the whole activity of communication is done in a loving manner. Which is to say... It's done in gentleness. It's done in meekness. It's done out of a true concern for the person. When you as a mother speak to your children, even when you are angry with them, you speak to them in a loving tone with gentleness. Sometimes you do have to get angry. Sometimes you do have to use more sharpness and more boldness in the way you speak. But generally, normally, You speak gently. You speak with calmness. Speaking the truth in love. When we say that the truth is above all things and the only thing that matters is speaking the truth, not how you speak it, that's simply false. The truth is above all. And that truth which is above all things important and precious includes the truth of our text. It includes the calling to speak the truth in love. It includes the truth that the church will grow only when and in the way of speaking the truth in love. That's part of the truth that is above all things precious. We are to speak the truth to each other in the same way that God speaks the truth to us. 
How does God speak the truth to us? God who is our Father, who loves us, who has chosen us from all eternity to be his children. He comes to us and through the gospel, he speaks to us in love. He declares to us in words of love through a pastor who strives to express that love of God in the way that he preaches it. He speaks in a warm and loving manner to express to us as much as possible how precious we are to him. We are to speak the truth in love just as God speaks the truth in love to us. And surely the apostle also means when he says speaking the truth in love that we give the judgment of love, the judgment of charity when we speak about one another. Sometimes, too, the danger is that we think to ourselves that as long as we're speaking the truth, we can say what we're about to say. As long as it's true. I heard this about so-and-so, or I heard that. It's all true. And so we think we have every right to say it. But speaking the truth in love means that we have to make judgments about what we speak as well. There are many things that are true. But that doesn't mean we should speak them. There are many things that we should keep to ourselves. We shouldn't spread gossip. We shouldn't speak evil of others, even if it's true. Speaking the truth in love means that you love the person that you're speaking to or that you're speaking about. If you love them, then sometimes you don't say it. But also the judgment of charity means that when we hear something that doesn't seem exactly right to our ears, whether it's our pastor preaching a sermon or whether it's a brother in the church talking about the controversy or, or some doctrine or some opinion, and he's saying something or she that doesn't sound quite right to us. That we are slow to judge, slow to speak, and that we are eager to listen, to ask them, what did you mean when you said that? Surely you didn't mean this. It sounded to me like you meant this. When we give that kind of judgment of charity, then we're speaking the truth in love to one another. And the church is then growing up into Christ in all things. But when we become suspicious of one another, then that growth doesn't happen. That growth is slowed down. In 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle writing to the troubled church at Corinth, he describes the more excellent way of love and when he speaks of love in that chapter, he says, among other things, that love believeth all things. 
and hopeth all things, and beareth all things, and endureth all things. That means that we reserve judgment about brothers and sisters in the church. We don't become suspicious. We don't allow ourselves to become suspicious, cynical, jaded toward our brothers and sisters, our pastors and teachers within the church. That's not to say that we just tolerate everything that is spoken that's wrong. Not at all. But it means that we give the judgment of charity to one another. And if there is something that we hear that doesn't seem right, that we go to each other, talk to each other, in love, ask, communicate, listen. That's how the church grows up into Christ in all things. When we speak the truth in love, beloved, when we have pastors preaching Christ and all of his riches to us, and when you as the saints are ministering to each other, serving each other, helping each other, loving each other, visiting each other, and the blessed result is that from Christ the head, this power, this life flows into the church And there is spiritual growth and edification of the church in love. And that's what the Apostle is getting at in verse 16. That from Christ, the whole body, which is fitly joined and compacted together by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The Apostle here, as in many other places, describes the church as a body. Christ is our head. We are the body. First Protestant Reformed Church is one manifestation of the great universal body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And Christ is your head, your only head. There is no pastor who is the head of this church. No elder, no hierarchy of elders, no synod, no classes. Christ is the head. And Christ gives pastors and teachers and elders and deacons. And through these ministers and servants of Christ, he works in his church that there is edification in love. It's a beautiful picture because the human body is a Marvelous creation of God. With our head, we have a neck which attaches our head to our torso and we have these shoulders which attach to our arms and wrists with our hands, knees and legs and feet. All these different joints that the apostle is speaking of, all these different parts. And that refers to each one of us who is a member of the body. We each have a place in the body, an important place. We recognize the importance of every single part of our bodies, the importance of every joint, every member, every organ. They all have to work together. They all have to to supply what each part has. Each part has a specific role to play. 
And when all those parts are working together and fulfilling their role, supplying what God has given to them, then that body is healthy and growing and strong and mature. And then there's edification in love. That's how the apostle ends the text. That the body itself, from Christ, through the ministers, through the saints, the body makes increase of itself and edifies itself in love. And there he switches from the figure of a living body that's growing to an edifice, a building that is being built up on a firm foundation. There's edification in the church. There's growth. There's increase in faith. There's increase in hope. There's an abounding in joy and love and worship and thankfulness and service. The church is thriving as brothers and sisters forgive each other and reconcile with each other. And they go out and they shine as lights in the world. So that that church truly becomes a shining city on a hill and a witness in the world. That's what a healthy and mature church looks like. That's what Christ wills for you as a congregation. And when the apostle says that Christ's desire is that we would grow up onto a perfect man, onto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we understand that he holds out as our hope that one day we will become perfect. In this life, we will not. We must be continually growing, striving to grow. But he holds out this hope of that great day of the Lord when the whole body of Christ will be perfectly gathered together, perfectly joined in heavenly glory, gathered around the throne of our Father in heaven. No more sin. No more schisms, no more heresies, no more wolves to be aware of. But always and for all eternity, dwelling together in love, speaking to each other in love, basking in the glory of the countenance of our God. What a day that will be. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the setting forth of Thy Word and for the gospel of our Savior. We thank Thee that in this day we could be in Thy house. We pray now that Thou would use the preaching and the sacraments as a mighty power that we would grow up more and more into Christ our head. We look forward and pray for that great and glorious day when thy whole church will become one perfect body and dwell with thee in eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In his name we pray, amen.